Hey, everybody. Welcome to a great episode of Friends with Employee Benefits. We're talking today to Adrienne Ruan, who is an executive trauma coach. She's also a trauma recovery specialist. And Adrian basically helps people come back after a traumatic experience. And when you listen to this podcast, what you're going to realize as an employer is that probably the vast majority of your employees are experiencing some form of trauma in their lives. And because um, we get into all the various sources of trauma and what it really means and what to do about it. And so this is such a timely uh, podcast and it's a must listen and listen carefully because it is from start to finish full of really great insight from Adrian and great ideas as to how we can help our employees be living their best and most productive and happy lives. So here we go. So Adrian, I, I start my day off checking in on the news, my Instagram feed, et cetera. And um, it just always feels like there's a lot of, ter- of turmoil going on right now in our country and in the world. And so how do we help our employees manage that and not get distracted by that when they walk through the door at the office? Well, that's going to require a lot of of thought, right? Because if we're creating a culture where we want people to be themselves and be able to feel safe at work, and yet we also want them to feel as though they can be able to process what's happening without being asked to set everything aside and not be a human at work, uh, it's going to really start from the management and supervisors down, right? We want to be able to create that safe space. So Um, perhaps being able to show them that from our perspective for how we manage, you know, wow. Yeah. I heard about this situation going on and isn't that, isn't that terrible. And also how is it that we can still get our work done today? What kind of support do you need? Right. It's going to be, it's going to be what we call in the world that I work in a pendulation between acknowledgement of the truth that's occurring. And then also, um, realigning into the priorities of the little tasks that we have to do to exist as humans and to make our world work together. When you talk about safe, I'm going to assume you're not talking just about physical safety, but psychological safety. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. That, that, that's a, that's a popular term. So, so just kind of letting someone, if someone's coming in and they're disturbed about something they're seeing on the news, letting them talk it through is perhaps the best way to to allow them to to feel safe so they can move on to their tasks. It really can be. And also keeping in mind that if it's perpetuating itself on an ongoing basis where they're just talking and talking, that can actually re-traumatize themselves and those around them. So giving them that space to maybe have a couple moments. Oh, I, and I, and acknowledge it, right. I hear you. I I agree. This is really tough. Mm. And isn't it interesting to know that there's so many more resources in our world now. And also how nice is it to know that we have a space to come to each day where we can um, still provide for our families, you know, really um, becoming that manager or supervisor or even colleague who can hold a space to create that psychological safety acknowledge what we're hearing without necessarily taking it in ourselves or trying to give an answer or a fix while 
um, again, letting that person feel heard and then gently redirecting back to those tasks that will help us feel more safe because we have something to do, tasks to perform. Yeah. Are you also talking to about physical safety? I mean, it seems like every day now there's something about workplace violence, like physical violence in the workplace or in the, in the subway or wherever. Is that, is that part of the discussion about safety as well that we need to be thinking about? I would, I would say yes, absolutely. And to be quite frank with you, we're finding more and more with our research in the mental health field that the more we feel psychologically safe, the less likely we are to become physically violent or to experience that in our world. So interestingly, it really starts within and with our space holders. So someone working at a center every day where safety is imperative, um, it's interesting that I can say I feel more safe there than I do walking down the, the historical district because I and my team have been able to create a space of safety where we can hear first and we ourselves can stay calm, listen, validate, and allow people to be who they are. Um, and that in and of itself right there is going to create that agency, giving them back their agency to be who they are without needing to conform, but without me becoming, um, we call it activated based on someone else's opinion, right? So that's why leadership is so imperative for us to learn how to hold that space to create psychological safety is going to be one of the first steps in creating a safer world for us all physically as well. When we talk about trauma, what are we talking about exactly? We've already touched on it a little bit. I mean, we would we would include, I'm assuming, you know, the trauma of being injured in an accident or being victimized by crime or losing a loved one. But are, are there other ways to experience trauma than what I just mentioned? Absolutely. And that's one of the interesting conversations of the day, isn't it? That those big T traumas that you just named are easy for us to recognize as humans that someone might be in pain from those physically, emotionally, or both. And yet most of us work every day with people who've been through what we would sometimes hear called as little T trauma or complex trauma. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole nother situation. That's the type of trauma that um, is held in the nervous system or psychologically and physiologically after going through long term, um, after going through a long term situation where you haven't felt safe. So let's say someone's going through bullying in school and they haven't told anyone about it. Even if it's small bullying, the fact that that person is nervous or activated going to school every day for a long period of time creates a setting in which the nervous system learns that it's not safe. And then eventually we might see someone acting out because of that. And that acting out can often come in a very big outburst one day where we're all sitting here thinking, well, we didn't see that. Why is this occurring? And yet it's been going on for months and months. And we can see that in the employee setting at some places as well. And we hear about that sometimes. Yeah. So trauma is basically anything that would make us feel unsafe, either emotionally unsafe, physically unsafe. Uh, it just struck me. I mean, is there such a thing as financial trauma? If somebody's feeling you know, kind of kind of un insecure financially, could that be a form of trauma if they've suffered some severe financial blow? Absolutely, 100%. And interestingly, in workplaces, that's often what will um, 
be one of the driving factors. We might see that person who's working two jobs or their spouse was just laid off and suddenly behavior changes are occurring and we might not be pairing those two together. But if we think about it, most of us listening to this, I would imagine are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if something happens that drops us down to more towards the bottom of that hierarchy and our basic needs are not being met or we're fearing that we cannot meet ours or our dependents' basic needs, absolutely that can be a trauma. And it's truly uh, the physiological experience of feeling as if we're, we're, our life is in threat. So if our shelter's under threat, if our job is under threat, anything related to feeding ourselves, keeping our children safe, that can absolutely be a trauma. This is very timely because um, I mentioned I, I kind of track the news, uh, try not to be obsessive about it, but inflation is a thing right now. And that could be really hurting people meet those basic needs, right? Absolutely. And the tough part about situations like this, and we hear it on the news over and over all day long, and we're seeing it at the pumps and in the grocery store, is that the more someone dwells upon it or hears it, the more the physiology is going to go into a fight-flight response, which means our thinking processes are going to stop the logical thinking, right? So little by little, it's quite the vicious cycle. And unless we consciously know this as a human or as a society, a culture, a helping center, we're going to wonder why isn't this person going out and I don't know, getting a second little part-time job or why aren't they Uber driving or why do they seem like they're not doing anything about it? When in reality, we see them moving into freeze, right? And that's the inability to act on one's own behalf. So it's very interesting. Yeah, you can't problem solve really if you're in a heightened emotional state, if you're kind of ramped up emotionally or you're in that fight or flight, that that's not, you know, you can't effectively use logic and reason and problem solve when you're in that position. No, you cannot. And we actually now can measure this scientifically in functional MRI machines. We see decreased brain activity in the executive functioning area of the brain, which means we're not able to effectively problem solve or create solutions or come up with new ideas or creation, creative ideas for ourselves. That transitions nicely to my next thought or question, which is kind of getting back to the news. Okay. So I'm wondering if just watching or reading the news could be traumatic, could lead to either behavioral or mental health issues or feeling unsafe. And especially the conversation we just had about, about being, you know, uh, emotionally charged. And it seems like all the news now is delivered with the intent of getting us emotionally charged. And so is that, is that potentially all leading to this, um, to, to more incidents of behavioral or, or mental health issues? I love this question and that you're addressing it. As someone who works every single day with people's mental health, I would say 100% our media has an impact. It's hands down non-arguable. There is an impact had by watching social media and our news. and. There are some news outlets nowadays who are really striving to go back to reporting and mm. journalism versus sensationalism. You'll have, which to is tell a lot me, you'll have to tell me offline where I can find those news organizations. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, because if, if you were able to sit down and watch five minutes of an actual report versus five minutes of a sensationalized report, 
the, the state of your being, we could actually measure it and know that you're calmer at the end of information being delivered to you versus sensation being delivered to you. And so that is the crux of the matter, right? Because if we're constantly watching something that even the tone of voice of the reporter, the, the clips that are shown, you know, a lot of times we've all most likely experienced driving past an accident and there's this innate instinct in a lot of people that we want to see what happened. And that is some people get offended by that, but it's, it's survival. We want to know what not to do. Look at this thing. We learn from our mistakes and the mistakes of others. And there's this instinctive sensation to want to know. But when we evolve as humans and as we grow and learn about the physiology, we also understand that that activates a whole sensation of triggers in the body that keep us in a stressful state. And so if we're seeking it out to know, ooh, what happened today? What accident happened? What terrible, awful situation has occurred? It can actually become an addiction to the adrenaline rush and the cortisol of those sensationalized stories. And that's when we often will find people who obsessively talk about or think about the awfulness in the world. We call it a pathogenic approach. We're always wanting to know what's wrong. Mm. And then we start to focus on it in that habit and, and mindset, and it can become quite detrimental to our mental health, for sure. You can start feeling like there's just nothing good going on. If one were to watch enough of our current media and dwell upon that all day long, it would appear to the person, their physiology would naturally begin to believe, uh, without our conscious permission, that everything's wrong in the world. You would also think that we are just polarized in a way politically and otherwise in this country than we've ever been before. And I wonder if you have any insight to that. Is it true? Is, is the, is, are, are we getting all fired up and, and angry at one another over nothing? Or is it just because the news is, is portraying it that way? Oh, you ask such complex questions, Jeff, and I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> they might seem so simple on the surface and yet, if one is given two choices and only uh, it appears that there are only two choices to choose from and either one of those choices doesn't necessarily fit with our, our true feeling of who we are as a being, our true value set, right? Um, we're going to immediately begin experiencing again a fight or flight response. Oh no, I don't have a choice over here that I like and maybe I don't have one over here that I agree with. Either one of them has an aspect that threatens who I feel that I am in this journey through life. And so we immediately begin to elevate the nervous system and we feel trapped. And then that creates the cycle of more and more stress. And then of course, if we align with the one that seems less threatening than other people who seem to align with the other choice that now seems uh, those people are more threatening to me. So now I'm feeling threatened by the people around me and the two choices that only appear to be two choices and, and so as you can see, it becomes, um, you know, it's like putting blinders on and we're only noticing what's being offered to us mm -hmm. versus realizing that we actually have a lot of choice if we step back yeah. and are able to stay in a calmer state, right? So I would say that in my personal and professional opinion, well, we're business people. We know that at the end of the day, we have a responsibility to a profitability margin. And there's different ways to achieve that. And all of us have taken business ethics classes. So we know that. And <laughs> it's, it's our job to really 
understand and educate ourselves and others that we do have more choices. To be given two choices only is a part of um, someone's business agenda, if we're being really frank and honest about it, right? Yeah. So how do, we, how do we come out of that, though? That's the question. Do you watch the news? What do, do we do? Do, do, we, do? You don't. Okay. But, but, but how do we become an, inform, an informed person if we can't watch the news because it stresses us out too much? So the process that I like to follow is, and I actually work with my patients and clients on this as well, create your own value system. What are the top three priorities in your existence in this journey through your life? As far mm-hmm. as most of us feel, there's usually the thought process that we have this one life. And what are the three things that are so important to you that you'd be willing to spend a little extra time and effort to learn about them and educate yourself fully on them? So for myself, it's going to be trauma and family and living a happy life. How do I find joy? How do I stay calm? So dedicating our time and our energy, this would be what we call a a salutogenic approach. We're finding the things that are good, that help us feel happy that align with that sensation of rightness inside of us and then seek that out. And perhaps if you need to spend a little time, um, I I do use an Alexa and I get my weather and a five minute news report in the morning on there. I want to know the highlights. That's all I want to know. Mm. Um, And then as time goes on and our journey takes us places where we're able to help find a cause that you believe in where you can truly as an individual make your time or your money truly help another. Um, I have a mentor who says, in his opinion, we have um, 8 billion souls on this earth and each soul probably has about 100 people that we can truly influence if we become our self-actualized self or you know, our journey up towards that self-actualization. Look for your 100. Look for those people who we can each make an impact with over our lifespan. And that can give us so much more purpose and allow us to stay more focused on what we can affect change in. That's, that's great advice. Should we, um, getting back to the workplace, um, should we, and the genesis of this podcast, Adrian, was that here at uh, One Digital, we were just kind of talking about how to avoid divisiveness at work. And so should we, should we just avoid divisive topics? Should those be off limit at work? So again, if we're creating two, only two answers, right? You can either talk about it or you can't. That's again, that binary thinking process that we're so used to, honestly, that's a lot of our culture. (laughs) (laughs) So, so how do we create a space where I'm allowed to exist and you're allowed to exist and our ideas can be different, but they don't have to influence one another. That is truly, I think the question of the day. And again, in the work that I do, uh, the type of trauma therapy that I do, it's called pendulation. So how do I acknowledge this one truth over here? Understanding that on the opposite end, there's another truth for someone else. And how do I hold my truth while allowing someone else to exist? Well, what we found is that, again, there's so much power in that acknowledgement. I hear you. And I see that that's a very interesting opinion. And we don't have to engage. We often feel that we need to defend. Um, but in a, in a space where we're managing and supervising with a lot of different backgrounds, which is pretty much the norm anywhere, especially in America nowadays, um, we're going to just really want to be giving space to acknowledgement. I acknowledge you. I see you and I hear you. I'm not going to be threatened by that. I'm going to 
respect your existence on this space. And then um, again, that's going to allow each person to feel heard and held. And for the most part, what we find, and again, I work in an extremely diverse uh, environment. I mean, people from literally around the world, um, multiple, multiple different ethnicities and backgrounds and psychoeducational and busy um, financial education backgrounds and settings. And it's so beautiful to watch that coexistence occur when we acknowledge a couple of simple truths, which are that we're all human here in this room. Mm-hmm. And we're all know what it's like to love our children and our partners and our families. And isn't that nice that we can come together to do tasks, to be able to go home to them and exist peacefully here together. So mm-hmm. maybe not outlawing or, or, or all, you know, making rules that we cannot talk about it, but educating um, ourselves on how to hold that space. Cause we are human all day long and we can't pretend that we're not for eight hours a day that's really hard or maybe more. How, how can we pretend that we're not while still trying to honor the, the whole point of coming to work? Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And you said something that caught my ear, which is educate ourselves, but should we also be, should we be training our employees how to, I think if I can paraphrase what you said, is that we have to learn to hear one another, acknowledge one another, and we can disagree silently. We don't have to turn it into an argument about, you know, one person's got to be wrong and the other person's got to be right. Is that, did I, did I summarize that effectively? Absolutely. And so Absolutely. do we need, should we train our, should we train our employees about that? I mean, should we educate them and not just ourselves? We absolutely should be educating our organizations, especially those helpers and organizations, our management and our supervisors, and then our employees. We educate them about what to do in case of an attack. We educate them about what to do in case of suicide. Um, we educate them about what to do if there's an emergency. Well, guess what? People are often the creators of emergencies, especially nowadays, especially with violent outbursts. So why would we not take into account the scientific fact that I have a nervous system and you have a nervous system and the way I show up for you every day may possibly be a trigger? And of course, I believe 100% this is going to be a part of the future. It's why I do the work I do. It's why I speak. And uh, we do see massive increases in employee well-being as well as the feeling of safety in organizations that educate on not just the mental health in general but the physiology of trauma and of the nervous system and of tone and of hearing and holding space yeah so for those for those hr professionals tuning in adrian what's the one thing that they can do right now this month to support their employees mental well-being it would be to learn about your own nervous system. If you can learn what happens inside of you, um, I like to compare it to um, washing our hands, washing our hands when we have germs or wearing a mask if we're sick. If you can understand that you have a nervous system inside of you that's gonna react to what's happening around you and you can come into work in a calm state, our vibe is contagious and people are gonna notice. We've all known that person who just seems to be so calm, so cool, so collected, so comforting, learn to become that person, especially if you're in an HR or a helping role. You can't teach it to your employees if you don't learn it yourself first. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So Adrian, you, you know, you talk about us being all human beings and emotions are human emotions, uh, you know, across the globe and with, with every race, ethnicity and sexual orientation, whatever, like it's the human emotions of love and fear and joy and all of those things. Those are just human things. And I, I, I've been wondering recently, personally, like, are we focusing too much on, on what makes us unique i mean it's great that we're all unique but are we focusing too much on that as opposed to focusing on what makes us um like which is that humanness this is a beautiful question i talk about this in group therapy all the time until we can understand what makes us similar until we can hold a space for each other's samenesses that i feel perhaps shattered over this type of situation and something completely different might make you feel shattered or happy, vice versa. Till I can fundamentally recognize that, how can I honor your differences? Because your differences would then seem threatening to me. So to be able to understand at a fundamental level that my pain is as intense or difficult for me as your pain is for you, regardless of the why, how can I then um, hold a space and respect you if you're completely different than me? If I don't understand that we're going to feel the same sensations because the nervous system puts off the same sensations in every human. It's science. We're not able to get away from that. The space in your brain that feels physical pain is the same space that processes emotional pain. Pain is truly pain. What did we miss? Anything that that, uh, you want to talk about today, Adrian, that, uh, that we didn't get to? I would just like to say, first of all, thank you for having this space. It's so lovely to know that there are people like yourself and Kayla and your team working to bring information to our world. And again, I I just like to remind everyone that regardless of workplace etiquettes and protocols, I've spent a lot of time in corporate America in my past. Being human together is, it's an art form. And it's possible to learn how to do it again, just like we didn't know about germs hundreds of years ago. And it was a true tragedy, tragedy in the world. It was, it was hard to understand why things were happening. I believe that the nervous system learning of the physiology of our own bodies is going to be what changes the landscape of the next few centuries of our existence in this world. So that's how powerful this knowledge is in my personal and professional opinion. So I'd just like to encourage everyone Even if you're not in a space at work to do something about it, learn it for yourself, learn it for our children, learn it for our world. Wow, Adrian, that is the, it's really the perfect close. I think everything you just said resonated with me and I I think it's going to resonate with all of our listeners and, uh, and it's great advice across the board. So thank you so much for, for joining this podcast. It's, uh, I have to say no offense to anyone that's come before you, but this has been one of my favorites. So, but before we go, Adrian, we have some rapid fire questions we ask all of our guests, and this is just fun to get uh, to know you a little bit better personally. You up for that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. First thing that comes to mind. First of all, drink of choice in the morning. Coffee. Favorite food. Mashed potatoes. (laughs) Last thing you watched on TV. Oh, fringe. What was your very first job? Well, so my first, first job, I, I sold rocks off my driveway when I was eight years old. <laughs> and then my first real job. Oh, go ahead. 
No, no. I was going to say, I think we just stick with that one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I sold rocks. I had my own business. Been an entrepreneur since I, I was eight. That. I love that. Did you at least paint them or wash them before you sold them? Or it was just a dirty They were rock? washed. Okay. No, good. we washed them. We had a little creek and we would collect, you know, pretty little rocks. And I had my three younger siblings working for me. It was really, wow. it was quite the setup. Yeah. yeah. Entrepreneur. Uh, and finally, Adrian, our theme at One Digital this year is to be all in. And I'm wondering, how do you plan to be all in, either professionally or personally, in 2022? Well, <laughs> I, I am all in. I, I have found my passion in, in this life. And so pretty much everything I do is built around, around educating our world on trauma. So I'm, I'm a trauma therapist full-time at work. I have my own business where I'm a trauma coach. I coach uh, in, at the executive um, functioning level with the Arizona Trauma Institute. And also I take my health very seriously. So I, I really have found that place in life that feels like a sweet spot. And I love what I do. And I also balance that with the proper self-care so that I can show up for my daughter, myself, my partner, and our world. I think it's uh, all about finding an underlying theme that drives you to that purpose and then creating balance. Great. Thank you again, Adrian. And to everybody listening, thank you so much for listening. We, we would not do this if we didn't have listeners. <laughs> we so appreciate you tuning in. This has been yet another episode of Friends with Employee Benefits. 